one thing that regulators really struggle with. Uh, you allow an investment and you depreciate that investment over a long period of time. That's kind of the uh, the bread and butter of utility regulation. As the asset degrades. The asset degrades, right? Yeah, the asset doesn't yeah. get better yeah. with age. It, 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 uh, it diminishes with age. This is Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of the Canadian Electricity Association. We feature discussions about the future of the business of electricity on this podcast and what the future transformations will mean for electricity companies, regulators, society, and customers. We also spotlight recent news and bring you different voices from the CEA team. Our featured discussion on today's podcast is with Brian Sheehan, the past chairman and CEO of the Illinois Commerce Commission. But before we get to my conversation with Brian, I'm joined on this podcast by Justin Cruson, CEA's Director of Transmission and Distribution. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Francis. So what I, I thought we'd do before we get to that conversation with Brian uh, is uh, talk to you a little bit about the context within which we recorded this. And so we recorded that conversation with Brian at the recent Camput conference. Yes, we did, alongside our Camput workshop. And so that's a workshop that, that you've been organizing, CEA organizes, adjacent to the CAMPUT conference. This is to, to drill down on issues of particular concern to our membership, is that it? Yeah, exactly, like many things. But uh, yeah, so it's an annual event alongside mm-hmm. their annual conference. For those not familiar with CAMPUT, it's basically the Association of Subnational Energy Regulators. And each year they have their conference and we host our workshop alongside it. It's really kind of the electricity deep dive of the day. And for those uh, not familiar with economic regulation, very interesting times. Not that it ever wasn't, but uh, some interesting <laughs> topics there. So, what were the big what were the big issues that uh, that the the workshop dealt with this time around? So, the past couple of years, for obvious reasons, we focused on innovation, uh, IoT, telecommunications, renewables. All sorts of new technologies really pushing the envelope in many sectors, but also uh, disrupting our sector. So, you know, that's really challenging economic models, and that's what we focused on the past couple of years. So at this year's CAMPA, we had a number of panels. One was big data, another electric vehicle infrastructure. Mm-hmm. But I think really the keynote featured Brian Sheenan, and that looked at uh, remuneration models, basically how electricity companies are paid for the services they produce. Right. And a lot of these models haven't been changed in years. Right. Uh, if you go way back, we got paid to basically put steel or maybe better analogy, copper and wood in the ground. But it uh, would last you know, for, for decades, right? And then you'd get exactly. paid back for over decades? Exactly. But now times are changing. We have things like cloud services mm-hmm. that sometimes are the best uh, lowest cost option to rate pairs. So, you know, the economic models need to come along with that. And that's some of the discussion we had this uh, today. And that's, as you'll hear in a couple of minutes, some of the discussion I had with Brian as well. How do you, can you capitalize the cloud? It's a, it's a really interesting topic. Anything else that the, that were big takeaways for you from the workshop? Yeah, you know, really it's just uh, the discussion's just a, a great positive there. We just need to be talking about these things. And our campout workshop every year is just an open dialogue for regulators, electricity, uh, company, personnel, 
really just to everyone to come together and discuss these, these issues and just provide a safe blue sky forum for those thoughts. And you know, moving forward, I think we're going to host another one next year. It'll probably be a similar topic, but uh, we'd like to, you know, maybe take this to the next level, maybe introduce a resolution process or get something going because, you know, we do a lot of talking about innovation, but we really need to start moving the needle. Right. And I, I really do think it's in the best interest of ratepayers, electricity companies, Canadians, mm-hmm. everyone really. So uh, yeah, I look forward to next year. So just like this podcast, your workshop looks to the future. Exactly. That's a, that's a great, uh, great comparison. There. All right. So uh, before you go, Justin, before, before we sign off and then uh, turn, to, turn to the conversation I had with Brian, I want to ask you a question um, that I ask all of the guests um, that uh, come on this show. And that is, what is the book that either you're, you're reading now or you've just read that you would recommend to other people? So mine's an interesting one, seeing that I just took a trip down to Montana, uh-huh. Yellowstone National Park as well as Utah. So I grabbed a book in a Walmart in Idaho, uh-huh. and it's famous moments that happened in Montana that changed the country and the world. So, wow, yeah, I think it's quite informative, though, especially in an Alberta context where mm-hmm. Campo is this year, because uh, Montana at one point in time was a thriving mining central and boom town, mm-hmm. and you see the remnants of that as you go through Montana. And you know, the towns that once were thriving metropolises, mm-hmm. today many are ghost towns right. and introduces very interesting questions just around sustainability, you know, how you should you try to uh, carry on in kind of struggling towns. So very interesting stuff. Stranded assets. Who knew you'd, you'd be doing that on your vacation? Yeah, yeah. Imagine <laughs> it. <laughs> Justin, thanks for joining the podcast. Thanks a lot. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So tell us a little bit about uh, about the uh, the Illinois Commerce Commission, what its role uh, is, and what your role has been there as well. The ICC is the Public Utility Commission for the state of Illinois. Uh, we have a, a long history, in fact, one of the oldest PUCs in the country. And um, so we regulate uh, investor-owned uh, utilities, uh, electric, gas, and water, among other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have five commissioners appointed by the governor and confirmed by our state senate. Uh, we have a staff of about 240 right. uh, and a $60 million budget. So what are among those uh, those other things from a regulatory standpoint? I, I ask because in some of the previous uh, previous conversations we've had, uh, we, we, I've talked to people who are regulating you know, electricity and gas uh, and the price of gas at the gas pump. Uh, and another regulator that no longer uh, has to has to regulate that, but was uh, regulating the price of beer originally. Wow, that's set up. that's a job that that's I wouldn't a job. want to have. So, what else do you have besides oil, uh, electricity, and um, gas and uh, and water? The ICC originally uh, started as the Railroad Commission, and we continue to have a small role to play okay. in uh, regulating uh, grade crossings and uh, yard safety. Okay. Um, we also regulate uh, uh, relocation towers and uh, companies that do collateral recovery. So that's uh, repossession okay. of automobiles and other uh, kinds of uh, property. Huh. Uh, those are really the, the main things. Uh, we um, also regulate uh, 
uh, insurance and registration for uh, commercial trucks. And then, um, yeah, one of the one of the other things that uh, that I wanted to ask you about is is how did you <laughs> get involved in in economic regulation? Well, I've had a long career in state government, uh, almost thirty years now. I worked for three Illinois governors, and uh, during the term of Governor uh, Jim Edgar, I had the opportunity to work for uh, a colleague of mine. Uh, we both came from the governor's office. And uh, I just graduated from law school mm-hmm. and served as his uh, legal and policy advisor. Uh, this is more than 20 years ago and really just fell in love with it. It's a terrific agency mm-hmm. um, and uh, spent uh, the better part of those years trying to get back. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, just as luck would have it, um, ended up working on a Governor Rauner's campaign mm-hmm. and um um, things just worked out, uh, and I so I ended up as chairman. I was chairman for um, about uh, four and a half years. Yeah. Uh, we just recently had a transition uh, in the new administration, but I continue to be uh, a commissioner. So during your, your term as chairman, what, what were the, the biggest issues that you had to deal with? Well, we handle uh, almost 800 cases a year, yeah. and uh, the normal assortment of uh, rate cases uh, for all three of those major industries, uh, among other things. Uh, but we've really been focused on uh, thinking about uh, innovation mm-hmm. and how to um, create the right uh, incentives for utilities uh, that um, uh, allow them to invest in, uh, in innovation and, of course, uh, while always balancing the interests of ratepayers. Mm-hmm. And how do you how do you think that that's gone? Do you think it's been an, a successful experiment so far? Uh, yeah, I think it's been terrific. Actually, um, the ICC in the last four and a half years has become regarded as one of the top uh, two or three public utility commissions in the country. Okay, uh, and I think that's largely attributable to um, our thought leadership in a variety of uh, ways. Um, innovation is one. We talked today at the conference about mm-hmm. cloud computing, mm-hmm. and that's something we continue to, to work on, uh, in particular, uh, the accounting treatment of, of cloud computing, which is going to be really uh, critical for public utility commissions to consider as um, we you know, experience this uh, uh, phenomenon of digital transformation, which is right. really going to be uh, game-changing. Um, but We've also uh, been part of uh, the state's transition to uh, a smarter, more intelligent grid. We we mm-hmm. have um, we'll have at the end of this year a hundred percent build out of uh, AMI meters. Mm-hmm. Um, so almost six million uh, AMI meters. Uh, we were uh, uh, played a role in the passage of legislation that uh, provides. Um, compensation to our nuclear power plants mm-hmm. based on an environmental attribute right. uh, of the electrons that they generate yeah. uh, being uh, carbon-free. Okay. Uh, yeah. And that uh, is actually a, a law that was recently upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. So okay. it's been exciting to be part of that. Uh, Illinois is the largest, uh, has the largest nuclear fleet in the country. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's really part of... Uh, the, the fabric of the state and and um, and certainly our uh, provision of uh, electricity to you know almost 13 million people mm-hmm. in the state mm-hmm. 
and uh, so it was exciting to be part of that. Um, uh, we've hosted, um, I think, uh, you know, dozens of policy sessions more than any other uh, commission uh, in certainly recent history. Um, and, you know, one thing I'm probably uh, most proud of is the commission's uh, commitment to diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, we have been uh, with Governor Edgar, uh, pardon me, Governor Rauner's um, leadership, uh, the most diverse commission in the United States. Wow. And um, we've had many firsts at the commission. We have uh, the first African-American uh, chief ALJ. Yeah. Uh, we have the, the first female African-American uh, chief administrative law judge. We have uh, the first Hispanic police chief. Uh, we have the first uh, Latina commissioner mm-hmm. uh, in the commission's 105-year history. And um, at one time, we had uh, three of five Hispanic commissioners in the United States on the on the ICC. Now we have... Um, we continue to have two of four, mm-hmm. um, including um, Sadzi Oliva, who's the first Latina. Um, John Rosales, who served uh, for the last four years, he recently rolled off uh, after his term expired, um, was appointed to the board of directors at Nehru by Rob Paulson. Uh, and uh, John was the first Hispanic member of the board of directors at Nehru in, in 130 years. Wow. And so those are all things that I'm proud of. We, we um, established an office of um, supplier diversity and community relations for mm-hmm. the first time. And um, so uh, it's, it's been exciting. We've done a lot around uh, diversity, around a lot around uh, thought leadership mm-hmm. uh, in terms of uh, what the, the utility of the future is going to look like. We undertook a study called NextGrid. Uh, which, uh, you know, really, I think, highlights um, the, uh, the opportunities that uh, are going to present themselves in the next uh, 10 or 20 years. Yeah. There's a you know, number of things that we wanted to, to chat about, but I, I've got I to gotta follow up on and ask that question, uh, the, the thought leadership that you've been doing about what the utility of the future is going to look like. So, Brian, what's the utility of the future going to look like? Well, I think that <laughs> it's going to be much more distributed. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's going to look a lot more like a platform. Okay. Um, as opposed to, um, you know, just a network. Right. Um, you know, power flows are going to be uh, bi-directional. And uh, public utility commissions are going to have to be much more involved in uh, overseeing the interaction of you know, all of these connected devices. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, those are going to include battery storage and electric vehicles. Right. Um, uh, as a feature of the legislation that was recently passed um, called the Future Energy Jobs Act is a significant build-out of new solar. Mm-hmm. Uh, 3,000 megawatts will come online in the next few years. We've been uh, instrumental in... Um, Enrolling out that uh, those rules, uh, about fourteen hundred megawatts of new wind, um, and so integrating all of that is going to be uh, difficult and, and complex, and frankly expensive. Yeah. Um, and uh, so that is going to be uh, really what the commission's um, focused on, I think, in the next decade for sure. Mm-hmm. So you, you'd mentioned that um, uh, 
you thought the, the ICC was you know one of the top two or three from a, from an innovation uh, standpoint to regulators across the U.S. So if somebody from the outside wanted to, to get a sense of of, of innovation um, in regulation. ICC would be one. What are the other ones? The other, the well, other California and New York are yeah. frequently mentioned yeah. uh, in that list. I think um, we bring uh, a healthy dose of just Midwestern common sense uh-huh. uh, to uh, to those issues, and and that's not to um, criticize either California or New York, but um, we have uh, made enormous progress in the last. Uh, decade. Well, I mean, you really could go back even to the late 90s when the state uh, reorganized its wholesale markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a very robust um, retail market for electricity, uh, almost 100 uh, different companies uh, marketing electricity right. around the state um, and promoting that market uh, and overseeing that market, our, our roles at the commission. Um, but uh, you know, the, the build-out of the smart network mm-hmm. um, uh, is certainly very significant. Um, you know, more recently, we've had FIJA, of course, which um, creates the incentives for uh, nuclear power generation, uh, wind and solar. Uh, but it also uh, provides the utilities with an incentive to invest in energy efficiency mm-hmm. and actually allows them to earn a return on those investments. Right. And the trade-off is uh, that they have to uh, uh, have a commitment to have about 20% persistent reductions in, in, uh, in usage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's very significant. Uh, we've led a discussion on uh, the capitalization of cloud computing yep. and, yep. and uh, uh, intangible software assets. Uh, we're really at the, uh, the tip of the spear on that, but I think... Over uh, the long run, uh, that is going to be um, something that's viewed as as uh, pretty standard. Um, so, what what does the tip of that spear look like when you <clears throat> when you're talking about the treatment of those kinds of? Well, you know, it's funny that you asked that. I, I first raised this at a Nehruk meeting in uh, the fall of 2015 and mm-hmm. was literally shouted down from really? from a panel. Yeah, literally wow. shouted down. Um, and so. It's going to take time. Mm-hmm. It's going to require um, education. Right. Uh, but I think as people understand, as commissioners and staff in particular understand uh, the value uh, to customers uh, and the cost savings involved, yeah. um, and frankly, just the reality of uh, how the technologies are changing mm-hmm. that will require it, uh, there will be greater acceptance. Mm-hmm. So you've uh, spent the last uh, couple of days here in, in Canada, we're recording this at the at the, uh, the end of the Campwood Conference, which is the kind of the Canadian equivalent of, of NARUC. So you've you've had a chance to to talk to to, to folks here in Canada. Um, do you notice any any similarities and or differences between the challenges that that uh, that companies up here are facing and uh, and what you've seen uh, both in Illinois, but but also uh, you know with with your colleagues when you're when you're at NARUC meetings. You know, I, I think I'm probably um, impressed with uh, the fact that there aren't greater differences. Um, we're all wrestling with the mm-hmm. same uh, challenges, I think. And, and uh, you know, they all include having to address climate change, 
having to think about the integration of really massive uh, amounts of distributed generation, yeah. uh, you know, the incorporation of uh, battery storage and EVs. Um, and, you know, these are challenges that not just uh, regulators in North America are facing, but around the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I think we certainly have a lot to learn from each other, but I would say that um, we're really all in the same boat. Yeah. We talked a little bit about some of some of the other um, regulatory bodies in the U.S. that, uh, you know, you, you point to. Uh, what about internationally? Are are there specific jurisdictions that, that, that you've been following because there's potential lessons that can be learned that we might be able to adapt? Well, I, I think that, uh, I think it's very instructive to look at what's happening in Germany. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, in particular, um, I, and I think that, you know, there are a few people that disagree with this um, these days. I mean, we certainly need to do what we can to address climate change. Uh, but I think it's important that, you know, we do it in a sensible way. You know, I think there are some kind of cautionary lessons uh, uh, in in the German experiment mm-hmm. uh, that, that re, you know, really merit uh, taking some time to understand. Yeah. Um, what, is, what are some know, of the big ones that you think we should be... Uh... Well, Taking from that experience, I, I think that uh, you know they've been very aggressive in um, uh, investing in renewables, mm-hmm. um, but still largely balanced with coal. So their CO two uh, output has been um, about the same as it was ten years ago. Yeah, despite the additional cost. Right. Um, I suppose if you take a, a very long view, uh, maybe that's uh, something that will level out. Um, but I think that's that's something to, to really um, uh, be cognizant of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, closer to home, I think, um, you know, an equally important lesson uh, is in California. Um, you know, the campfire, I suppose, you know, this has to be litigated, but the early right. indications are that the campfire was caused by the failure of a hundred-year-old power line. Yeah. I mean, literally a hundred-year-old yeah. transmission line. Yeah. And so while I think it's important that we address climate change, I think it's equally important we do it in a sensible way. Um, I don't think that it can be at the expense of investing in basic Mm -hmm. uh, grid infrastructure. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, at the end of the day, we're really responsible for safety and reliability first um, at 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 a reasonable cost, allowing the utilities to earn a fair return. Um, but if you don't have safety and reliability, uh, then the other things uh, sort of pale in comparison to that. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think those are probably two cases that you can look at and, and draw some lessons from. How concerned are you uh, about um, some of the aging infrastructure that's out there in our, in our, in our grids around North America? Yeah. I, you know, I think it's critical, frankly. Yeah. Um, the um, American Society of Civil Engineers uh, – give our basic infrastructure a D-plus grade um, and estimate that it will cost nearly $5 trillion to uh, address the underinvestment that that we've seen. Um, You know, that's not just electricity, obviously, um, but, you know, that's the the water and and gas infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that's not particularly encouraging. Um, You know, it's, it's all very expensive. You know, and particularly in 
the case of electricity and gas, uh, if it if it goes badly, you know, it can can be deadly and it can be very expensive. Uh, you know, Flint, Michigan's experience, and there are others around mm-hmm. the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, highlight the risks of underinvestment uh, in our water infrastructure. Right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, in that case, uh, probably underinvestment and and mismanagement uh, played uh, big roles. Mm-hmm. You know, they they could have uh, mitigated the acidity of that with uh, you know, a few hundred dollars worth of chemicals that they just, um, you know, failed to apply. So uh, there are huge, huge challenges. Um, uh, and, and frankly, I think uh, there aren't necessarily any, any good answers. It's going to require investment. It's going to have an impact on rates. Um, you know, I think that's one reason that uh, it's really important that we focus on innovation yeah. as a tool to uh get more value mm-hmm. out of uh, uh, customers' investments um, and to, you know, ultimately uh, produce those services um, more efficiently and and, uh, and and less expensively. Challenge getting people to, to think about and focusing on on aging infrastructure. It isn't it isn't as interesting or sexy as, as, as some other some other topics. No, uh, it's not. Um, and it's easy, I think, for uh, critics of uh, investment to downplay the risks. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I can tell you, unless you're in the shoes of a regulator, uh, when something goes badly, mm-hmm. you know, it's really hard to appreciate, you know, that the sense of responsibility. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, these are real problems. Uh, they're going to require um, real investment to solve over a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. One of the top, just to change, switch gears, but one of the topics that, that has come up over the last couple of days, um, not just here, but, you know, in, in any, any time people get together and talk about regulatory issues is these, these, um, the question of regulatory sandboxes and, and innovation sandboxes. That's a theme that, that, that kept being touched on. What, what's your view on, on, the, the, the concept of regulatory yeah. sandboxes. Uh, so my uh, legal and policy advisor, uh, Jimmy Zhang, and I just uh, co-authored a piece that appeared in Utility Dive okay. uh, endorsing the idea of sandboxes and talking about the idea of sandboxes. And I think they're, uh, they could be a useful tool. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about, you know, our role of regulators, you know, our, our role is essentially to serve as a proxy for competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you look at um, uh, utility investment and, and research and development um, in particular, uh, you find that it's uh, less than 1% of their revenue and often much less. Yeah. Uh, the average uh, for a, a big organization in the United States is more like 5%. Uh, and uh, tech companies spend about 25% of their revenue on R&D. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we really have to find ways yeah. to help utilities act more like their uh, corporate peers in, in a competitive environment. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's going to require uh, a shift in thinking from regulators as well, you know, allowing uh, investments in sandboxes, and uh, and pilots um, are are really investments in improving uh, the service that's provided uh, 
improving safety and reliability, um, it's not just an expense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to really look at the value of those learnings, uh, particularly around uh, sandboxes and pilots, um, because uh, they have value. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they didn't have value, companies in, in the private sector, unregulated companies, wouldn't be investing in R&D. Right. You know, they invest yeah. in R&D because it has value. Yeah. yeah. And we need to find ways to uh, provide the same incentives for uh, regulated utilities. Mm-hmm. So one of the uh, one of the other topics that, that you uh, you mentioned a little bit earlier was um, was uh, capitalizing the cloud, you know, opex versus capex. Yeah. Um, so what's what's your what kind of where, where's your your thinking on this, and where do you think we should collectively as a sector be going? I, I think it's a pretty. Uh, easy call, yeah. frankly. Um, and, you know, just to offer, you know, a very simple example, um, a utility today uh, gets to uh, capitalize and earn a return on its uh, purchase of uh, a license for Microsoft Office. Okay, yeah. Um, they don't get similar treatment of a purchase of a subscription for Office 365, okay. which provides, yeah. you know, arguably a better value. At least the same or better, yeah. Uh, yeah. I would argue better value. Yeah. yeah. Because once you buy that, you know, Microsoft Office, you know, 2016, uh, it doesn't get better over time. Mm-hmm. You know, they fix bugs, but it, it doesn't become uh, more useful. This is yeah, as you were you were talking earlier yeah. the example of buying versus leasing. Right. If if you um, uh, if you make the same acquisition mm-hmm. uh, through a subscription of a cloud based service, they they tend to get better. Uh, right. They tend to have you know more flexibility and more features. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a way to uh, future proof uh, utility investment. Uh, mm-hmm. It's one thing that regulators really struggle with. Uh, you allow an investment, and you depreciate that investment over a long period of time. That's kind of the the uh, the bread and butter of utility regulation. As the asset degrades, the asset degrades, right? Yeah, the asset doesn't yeah. get better yeah. with age. It 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 uh, it diminishes with age, and particularly in the IT and software world, you know, as they get older, you know, they're they don't get more functional, mm-hmm. right? They don't get more secure, right? Um, uh, and so the idea of a long-term capital lease of software instead of, mm-hmm. you know, one-time purchase of a license uh, just allows that flexibility and allows the product to improve, often at a lower cost. And so on, on a very simple level, um, the idea is to level the playing field uh, between uh, the accounting treatment of these two mm-hmm. similar assets. Right. Um, and uh, let the utilities make the best uh, technical choice that that they can make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, today we give utilities an incentive to purchase equipment that's antiquated the day they put it in service. Right. Yeah. Uh, it it really is uh, just kind of mind boggling, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be that way. Um, many jurisdictions in the United States allow the long-term capitalization or the capitalization of long-term leases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so this is uh, exactly the same thing. 
couple of questions that I ask everybody that we, we invite onto the podcast. The first one is, uh, what's the book that you're reading or what's the book that you've recently read that you think is important that maybe other people should think about cracking the cover of? Uh, you know, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I'm always, I've always got a number of books open. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been rereading um, Forrest McDonald's biography of Sam Insull oh. and talked about uh, him today a little bit. He's really a, a, a giant in uh, the utility industry. Mm-hmm. He literally invented uh, the modern public utility in Chicago right. uh, at the turn of the, the century. Um, and I think there continue to be a lot of lessons uh, we can learn from, uh, you know, his early experience thinking about how utility works, mm-hmm. um, you know, how uh, rate designs and accounting work. Um, and so I, I think there's a lot of value in, in, uh, in history and, and thinking about history and thinking about how it applies to the problems that we right. face today. So I, I think that's that's the one that's uh, uh, probably most on my mind uh, hmm. this afternoon. Okay, and then and then final question: your first thing in the morning when you want to get up to speed uh, on what's happening in in your world, so you're ready for the day. What are the sources that you turn to either when you fire up your iPad or or, or turn on your computer? Well, I, you go I'm to first? I'm a I'm a news junkie, so yeah. I have uh, subscriptions to the Wall Street Journal, New York Times. Uh, the Economist, uh, Texture, which is a magazine subscription, yep. Yep. Um, uh, the Times of London, and so you know I enjoy uh, kind of quickly mm-hmm. uh, going through those in the morning, uh, beginning with the Wall Street Journal. Great, Brian. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you. Megan Fall, and I'm a Senior Advisor of Environmental, Legislative, and Regulatory Affairs here at the Canadian Electricity Association. To highlight uh, an evolving topic of concern and focus here at CEA, and, and really around the world, and that is on biodiversity, and in particular biodiversity decline. In short, the numbers on biodiversity decline are looking quite grim. Um, a recent report by the World Wildlife Fund, released in 2018, has stated that humanity has wiped out over 60% of mammals, birds, fish, and reptiles since 1970. Furthermore, a report released by the United Nations just last month, which includes findings from more than 450 researchers and 15,000 scientific and government reports around the world, has showcased that extinction is looming over a further 1 million plant and animal species. So these findings are pretty harrowing, both in terms of the scale of the drastic rates of decline, but also in terms of the inevitable impacts this will have on human existence. Biodiversity consists of all the life forms around us, ranging from plants, animals, uh, insects, microorganisms, and even the diversity of genes that are within these species. So our existence more or less depends on these delicate ecosystems for everything from our clean air, water, food, and other natural resources. The reports also tell us that it's not too late to make a difference, but they urge us to start now to make transformative changes across economic, social, political, and technological factors at every level, from local to global stages. Thankfully, uh, our members at CEA have already proven that they're up to the task. We've seen a variety of examples of innovative electricity sector approaches to reducing environmental harm, such as transmission companies who have waited until the cold winter seasons to build transmission lines so that they can use snow and ice roads to transport materials to protect the sensitive vegetation underneath, or generation companies that have committed to planting more than 
or millions of trees in their provinces to help, op- to help offset some of their de- developmental impacts. The government of Canada is also initiating steps to raise awareness and take action on this important topic. In fact, cur- Canada is currently working towards a meeting of the United Nations Convention on Biological Diversity, which will be taking place in December of 2020. This meeting will act as a progress check on participating countries' advancements towards our 2020 goals. And I believe that electricity companies have the chance to play an integral role in Canada's biodiversity targets. Considering our jointly owned operating land areas are incredibly vast and span across all types of terrain in every Canadian province and territory. We have the opportunity to partner with governments and local conservation groups to create high quality networks of protected land and marine areas that could prioritize species at risk and really benefit a high number of flora and fauna. We can also continue to invest in cleaning the electricity grid by building new renewable generation sources that will help support the electrification of other highly polluting sectors, such as the transportation sector, in in order to reduce our country's greenhouse gas emissions. And in terms of at CEA, we're working to become more involved in the country's efforts. It's for this reason that we've recently formulated a biodiversity network. Um, This serves as a forum for CEAN members to share best practices and learn about other stakeholders' biodiversity initiatives. Furthermore, in the future, CEA would like to design a type of biodiversity framework. Um, This framework would set out some general guides and policies for electric utilities during their site developments um, to ensure that they are considering all the potential impacts on biodiversity and local species. Um, It's our view that by supporting biodiversity, utility companies will be able to minimize their environmental risk as well as their risk of public adversity. It's also a great opportunity for us to gain recognition from national governments, regulators, customers and communities as being responsible operators working towards sustainable developments. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Flux Capacitor. Invite you to tune in for future discussions and invite you to continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.